So we're glad you're here. Uh, as we kick off this series, uh, I want to ask you this question. Who do you turn to when you get stuck? Uh, when you go through a trial, when you go through a dilemma, when you uh, go through a situation you know, that you just can't quite solve on your own, immediately, who do you turn to? What kind of comes to your mind? What person or place do you go to to try to solve those things? Well, while you're thinking about that, I want to let you know that I am what you call a pathetic triathlete. A pathetic triathlete. Now, now, it's not just a demeaning term. It's actually a term of endearment. Some of you guys can go online. There's actually a website uh, dedicated to pathetic triathletes. Uh, it's dedicated specifically for those who may not look the part, you know, uh, of a triathlete. Now, for those of you who do not know, uh, a triathlete is one uh, who would attempt to complete, most people do, uh, a certain distance of swim, followed by a bike ride, and finish with a run. The distances, you know, ranged completely, the, the whole distance range anywhere from 13, maybe 14 miles for kind of the, the mini version up to what's called the Ironman, which is over 140 miles plus. I'm on the mini side. Kenny, you know, and Jeremy Anglin is on the other extreme, you know, on the crazy side, you know, and so we kind of got both sides. The reason I'm a pathetic triathlete is I'm pretty decent in the swim. Uh, I'm okay at the bike, but I am pathetic on the run. Absolutely pathetic. I really wish it was just a swim, bike, jump back in the water, swim again, you know, because I'm hot and I don't want to run, you know, after I have just biked for a certain amount of miles. Now, the reason I mention this to you is because this last week, uh, uh, Kenny, well, not this last week, uh, a while ago, Kenny once again talked me into uh, doing the swim across Coeur d'Alene next weekend. So uh, 2.4 miles, I'm like, yay, thanks, Kenny. And then he talked me into doing not the mini version of the try, but the second one, one that's called an Olympic in a couple weeks up at Priest Lake. Then I'm like, why am I doing this? Why do I believe these guys? You know, especially when I'm out there biking and running, I'm like, why, why do I get talked into this kind of stuff? Maybe you have those kinds of people in your life. Well, this last week on Wednesday, I was uh, out doing my bike workout and I got about two and a half miles out from my house and uh, I realized something was wrong because my brakes in the front, you know, of, 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 were connecting to the tire. They get every, every rotation, it just kind of rubbed and it rubbed. And I'm like, that, I've never had that before. So I kind of pull over to the side and all of a sudden there's this air bubble that just starts growing. And I'm like, wait, this is not good. That's one part that I do know, not good. So I turn around and all of a sudden I hear a pop. So there goes my tire. Now it was just a flat. I shredded the whole thing. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I have no idea how to change it, even if I did have the right equipment. And so uh, I'm two and a half miles away. My wife is at CIY camp with my son. I'm nowhere, I don't know anybody else that I can call that's gonna be able to get me in time. And so I do, you know, what any of us would do. I kind of flag down and ask for help, you know, to get me uh, back to the house. No, I didn't. I'm a man, you know? <laughs> You kidding me? We don't ask for directions and we do it ourselves. And so I even had police officers going by like, I don't need your help, I'm good. You know, what you need to know though is as I started to trek back to the house is you have these funny shoes that you wear with many of the bikes. Uh, ladies, just think high heels on the, ball, on the front of your feet instead of the back. So I'm, I'm walking like this, click, 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 you know, as, as I'm trying to, trying to go down this road. Now, you might remember Wednesday was 94 degrees, and it happened to be the hottest time of the day. So my feet were starting to bother me doing this. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'll just take off my shoes. So I took off my shoes. So instead of going like this, I started going hot, 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 as I, as I <laughs> drive it. Well, needless to say, you know, after two miles, I have these gnarly blisters, you know, that, that uh, came up, you know, uh, during the entire 
trot, you know, uh, back home. And all the while I'm thinking, I hate Kenny. I hate Eric. I hate Kenny. I hate Eric. You know, I hate these guys. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I don't like you. Even more so now, you know? You know, the reason I, I mentioned all that is it got me thinking, who do I turn to? You know, who did I, who was I thinking? And my first thought was if Kenny and Eric were here, they'd be the ones to be able to help or come alongside. If my wife was in town, she'd actually be able to come, you know, pick me up. And, you know, I started thinking about those different people in my life. When I get to the end of myself, who do I turn to? Now, if we're honest, if we're honest for just a second, when we go through a trial or difficulty, the first response is I can figure this out my own. I can get through this. Could be a little thing, could be a large thing. You're like, I can make it, I can get through this. Now there's nothing wrong with that, not at all. But the question becomes, at what point do you and I engage God in the process? At what point? Most of us, we don't engage God until we've come to the end of ourselves and then we say, God, now I need your help. The reason I mention this is we're beginning a series today called Trusting God in the Midst. Trusting God in the Midst. And we're gonna look at four a little bit more obscure Old Testament characters who are just like you and I, who are facing dilemmas or situations where God is gonna be asking them to trust him even maybe when it doesn't make sense. Now there's two verses during these next four weeks that I'd love for you to memorize, some of which you maybe already know, but two verses that are gonna anchor what we're gonna be talking about for the next four weeks. The first one is Proverbs 3, verses five and six. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. As Americans, that is one of the hardest phrases for us to admit. Wait a minute, I can figure this out. I don't need to trust you, God, in this. I'll only trust you, God, in the big stuff. He says, no, that's not what it says. Seek his will in all you do. Not when, you've already, when you can't go any further, but in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I wonder how many of us are even on the right path and we don't even know, we're on the wrong path and we have no idea because we've got plans, we got ideas, we got agendas, we got everything figured out in our lives and we're headed here and not once have we said, God, is this the direction that you want for my life? So that's one of the things that they always challenge you know, the students at COI. They get back to the Thursday night and there's always a challenge every Thursday night to be about the kingdom, to consider that maybe the plans, the ideas, the objectives, the dreams that you have, are they God's? And what a great season in life before you begin down this journey to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Which leads us to the next verse that I hope that you'll process and memorize during this series. Isaiah 55, five and six. My thoughts, God says, are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine for just as high as the heavens are than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It's almost like, with this truth, it's like a parent who continually goes to the child. And the child, have you ever tried to reason with a three-year-old? Have you ever tried to have an explanation? You know, like, I'm trying to help you understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And no matter what you say, they don't get it. How much more so is our Father in heaven looking down on us saying, okay, no matter what I say, you're not gonna get it. Trust me anyway. Trust me anyway. And so with that in mind, our goal of the next four weeks is that we can discover how we can trust God in the midst. Big problems, but also little ones. 
involving him into our everyday ordinary lives. With that in mind, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter five. And once again, every week here, we wanna encourage you to open up your smartphones, get on the YouVersion Bible app or any other you know, Bible you know, app that you can download, or you know, we have Bibles in the back for, as a gift from us to you. Uh, a lot of this will not be on the screen because I want you to see it in your own eyes. I want you to be able to reference it you know, during this week, maybe as God might lead you to go back to some things that you might learn from this character called Naaman. So in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. This part will be on the screen. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Although he was strong, he had a debilitating disease called leprosy. If you got leprosy in this day and age, it's a death sentence. It's a slow, painful, methodical ostracization from relationships and health moving forward. I'd give you an idea. Uh, leprosy, in its simplest way to understand, uh, begins to affect the nerves and the nervous system in your body. So imagine uh, overseeing a campfire, putting your hand in the fire and not feeling anything, what that would do to your body. Imagine over time not being able to blink, what that would do to your eyes. Not being able to talk, not being able to swallow, all of these things affecting the nervous system over time. And it gets worse because if you were known to have leprosy, because it was contagious, they would ostracize you and put you in a leper community for the protection of the village or your family or other people around. And so you would not be able to have contact. In fact, when you came into a vicinity where people who didn't have leprosy was, the rule was you had to yell out leprosy, leprosy, so that people would know and keep distance from you. Can you imagine that kind of target on your back? And here is a mighty warrior and he has leprosy. See, he's got connections He's got influence, resources, and yet he still couldn't take care of his greatest need. Just like us as Americans, we have influence, we have uh, uh, um, uh, connections, we have resources, but do you realize that all of us have a need that we cannot take care of on our own? And we don't wanna admit it, we don't wanna deal with it a lot of times because it kind of leaves us down, but it's something called sin. It is our greatest disease. It affects every area of our lives. It affects people around us. It affects relationships. When sin rears its ugly head, negative, awful, terrible situations begin to ensue that hurt us and hurt other people. And no matter how good, how influential, how resourced you and I are, we can't take care of this on our own. We need something beyond us. In the same way, Naaman couldn't take care of his disease either. So with that in mind, turn with me again. Now we're in verse two. This one will not be on the screen. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said, go and visit the prophet. The king told Aram, you know, told him, he says, I will send actually a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So he started out. And he took with him, notice, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. So here he is. My resource is going to actually heal me of this. The letter to the king of Israel said this, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. That's not pressure, isn't it? Hey, here you go, king of Israel, heal my servant. Now you know that that is not going to make the king of Israel very happy. And so that's why in verse 7, it says, when the king of Israel read this, he tore his clothes in dismay, and he said, am I God? 
that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard this message to him, he sent, you know, he sent this message to him and he said, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me. And he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and he waited at the door. Picture that. Waited at the door of Elisha's house. Have you ever gotten in a situation that you were so desperate that things that you would never have tried in a rightful state, you actually consider maybe even buy into that? Uh, you know, that's why, because you, 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 you might be like me, where you're riding you know, in your car, and all of a sudden you see the sign on the road, and it says, lose 30 pounds in 10 days with this incredible pill. And you're like, I would never listen to that until you start getting so desperate. You're like, I've tried all these other things. Okay, I'll give that a try. Or maybe it's the other side of the road that says, you can make uh, $10,000 from home by doing nothing. And you're like, that's what I'm talking about. And you're, and you're like, I've tried to work here, here, here. I've got financial issues. That's my way out. Why do you think we buy into the lotto, right? We got a lot of people buying lottery tickets all the time. And the chances are so small. You can kind of research the mathematical probabilities of winning the lottery. But desperate times call for desperate measures. See, Naaman is desperate. And he's going to do anything to be healed, even trusting the word of a servant girl to a prophet he doesn't know, to a God that he's not yet put his trust or hope in. And he says, all right, I'll give it a shot. I don't know if you've ever found your situation where you couldn't control the circumstances or outcome. I mean, think about situations in your life. You've been financially upside down and there doesn't seem to be like a way out. Or how about relationships where you've tried everything on your end? You've gone to see counseling after counseling and you're still wondering if this marriage is going to last. What about with some of your kids? As they grow up, some of you have felt distance from them and you're trying to do everything you can, but you can only do so much. You can't control the other person and it's driving you crazy. Maybe you got a coworker, friend, a neighbor, an in-law, should enough said, you know, that, that you have, that you're like, okay, I'm trying to do my part here, but I can't fix this. I've come to the end of myself. Uh, maybe yours isn't relational. Maybe it's internal. Uh, maybe you struggle with something called anxiety or depression. And this is this battle that wages in your soul over and over and over. And you've tried the medication and you've gone to see counselors and you're still in this fight and this dilemma. And you find yourself like, I can't go any further. I can't fix this. Or maybe you or a friend heard the words from the doctor, you have cancer or you got Alzheimer's. You have some disease that it doesn't seem like there is a cure, that there's a way out. And all of a sudden everything becomes crystal clear and you're like, no amount of resource or money or influence is gonna solve this issue. And you and I become desperate. Uh, my friend, Mike, he's a pastor friend of mine. Uh, we were in Arizona together and he's grew up in Southern California and he's been an executive pastor down there for years. Well, he's felt like God is kind of stirring in his heart. And so he actually took a church, he's taking a church right now, you know, uh, up right near Issaquah. So I'm so excited because it'll only be a few hours away, real close friend of mine, you know, uh, just south of Issaquah, about 15, 15 minutes. And so uh, they've never been to the Pacific Northwest. They're stepping out in faith. This is a scary journey for them. They're like, God, you're leading. So we're going to follow. So they get in their car, they head up, they're trying to secure housing. They moved all their stuff out of their home into a storage unit. Then they're gonna fly back down, get all the stuff in the storage unit and move it back up. The day they moved up, before they flew back down just to secure housing, he gets this random phone call from the storage unit. 
The storage unit people said a freak accident happened and our entire structure has burned to the ground. He goes, everything that you had is now gone. Can you imagine? Everything. And I know that a lot of it's material, but how many memories and you know, how many pictures and how many things that they've had. Oh, the only thing that he has to his name is what is, was in his car and the suitcases they have. And he's looking up and he's like, God, I, I'm following you. And, and, and this is what happened? And you become a little bit more desperate. You become a, a little bit more aware of what you and I can really control in life. And we can't when things like that happen. Uh, a similar thing happened to, uh, to Carolina and myself. We uh, found ourselves uh, uh, feeling like God was calling us to Post Falls, Idaho about 07, 08. Anybody remember what happened about that time? You know, uh, and so we, we found ourselves uh, trying to move up, but then our house fell you know, off. And so we're like, well, we can short sale. And so we actually worked with a buyer and a realtor and we actually got somebody lined up to short sale. Unbeknownst to us, the bank who had our loan didn't want us to short sale because it was a good home. And at that time they could double dip. They could get money from the government that was providing for every foreclosure that went through, plus then they could sell it and receive money from that as well. And so they gave us the runaround. I could not do anything. It was absolutely amazing to get phone number after phone number. You know, they call this number and they would go to voicemail, go this number, they would go nowhere. It would just drop off and go this number. Hours and hours and hours. Day by day, they said it's gonna foreclose on this date, this date. And we're scrambling trying to say, we have a buyer. It doesn't have to happen. And then it went into foreclosure. And I'm like, I could not believe that happened. You know, that seven years is gonna be on our credit. This October, the seven years has done. And so I told myself, man, I'm so frustrated at that bank. I would never mention that bank of America that we were with. <laughs> never, never mention that. <laughs> Not a good place, you know, for us to remember that. <laughs> See, we all have times, or we will have times, where we're going to get to the end of ourselves. And sometimes, understand this, here's the good news. When sometimes when you get to the end of yourself is when God shows up the most. He's been there the whole time, but maybe it's the only time that you and I realize that we are not the one in control, but he needs to be the one in control. Could it be that he even allows some things to happen to reveal that real truth in our lives out of his love for us? See, when we finally turn to God, finally turn to God, he makes himself known. He's been there, but it's almost like we become awakened to a new reality. In fact, if some of you guys can think of your own spiritual journey, do you realize that after 18 years of age, the two times that adults accept Christ in America today is one through transition. In other words, when people move, when they get married, a new job, when they have a child, it's a new transition in life and people seem to be open to maybe a different perspective or a different pattern. But that's number two. The number one reason that people in America come to faith in Jesus Christ is through a trial or a tragedy. In other words, you lose your job. The direction in which you were headed in your company goes south. You get a divorce. You know, things go, you cannot do anything with your child anymore. All of a sudden, many of you can look back at your life and saying, yep, that's when I realized the direction that I thought I had all planned out all of a sudden came crashing down and maybe there was something or someone else and Jesus has been there the whole time saying, I've been knocking at the door of your heart. Will you just let me in? And this is where we find Naaman. We left him, remember, at the doorstep of Elisha's house. You know, great warrior, all those resources, and he's hoping beyond hope, praying for a miracle. And this next section will actually be on the screen 
as we look at verse 10. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Now imagine, here's this royalty, here's this man of prestige, this mighty warrior, and the prophet himself doesn't even come to the door. He sends a servant. Imagine what that does to Naaman's ego. In fact, you don't have to imagine, let's keep reading. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord as God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the far, far better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and he went away in a rage. Ever been disappointed by unmet expectations? God, uh, I'm suffering here. I thought you were going to help our relationship this way, this how. God, I have been dealing with this anxiety for this long. This is how you were supposed to take care of it. God, I don't know what to do with this disease. You promised that you would heal. God, I thought our family would be protected and now we've experienced a tragedy. God, I do not understand. And so I am angry and upset and I turn against you. But yet many times are we missing the very thing that God is gonna show us. God doesn't do it our way, our time, and the, and, and, and the perceived expectation that we have. See, Naaman had specific expectations for how he was gonna be healed. And when we don't get what we expect, oftentimes we have the same reaction. It doesn't make sense sometimes. And sometimes we'll never understand on this side of eternity. But the question is, do we trust God in the midst? Jesus took a couple loaves and a few fish and he fed 5,000 people. He looks to the disciples and said, hey, you feed them. They're looking at this going, uh, not possible. Like, you don't know who you're dealing with. Uh, Jesus tells these fishermen, right? He'd been fishing all night, didn't catch anything. You know, it's the middle of the day. It's the wrong time of day to fish. There's all the fish are at the bottom of the, uh, of the water. Go out deeper water, throw your nets out. And they're like, you're nuts. But because we, you say so, we're gonna do it. And they got so much. They were so surprised because they didn't do it their way. They did it God's way. Oh, you remember the guy who was paralyzed? Right? He, luckily, he had some buddies in his life. And they heard this healer had come about, and, they, and, and this guy named Jesus had come to town and was healing people. So what do they do? As good friends, they put him on a mat. They take him to Jesus. They can't get inside. So what do they do? Poor guy's house. They get up on top, and they cut a hole in the roof. And they lower him down. Okay, if you're a paralyzed person, what do you want from Jesus? This is all skate. We can, we can participate. <laughs> all right, you want to walk. All right, have you been paralyzed? You're going through an ailment. The first thing you want is, man, here's hope. I, I, this guy can heal. Maybe he can heal me. I want to walk. So they lower him down and Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Do you imagine being the guy? Thanks. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, not, not what I came for. But uh, gr great, could it be that Jesus' perspective, he knew what he was suffering with was greater internally than what he was suffering with physically. And he knew the real healing he needed in his life. And then he says, hey, to prove that I can forgive sins, go ahead and stand up and walk. But you do realize how many people Jesus walked by and never healed even during the time that he was on earth. He knew that there was something greater that needed to happen. There was, there was a perspective 
that we have a hard time seeing in the midst of. God's saying, do you trust me? I love Jason last week. He's such a nerd. I love him. If you had a chance to hear his message, you know, uh, as he did the movie series, Dr. Strange and all that kind of stuff. He's my favorite nerd we got around here. He really is. You know, uh, uh, and, and what's fun about, you know, Jason is just the banter and the back and forth. But what was so moving was listening, if you get a chance to listen, to Jason talk about his story. Okay, no family prays to have physical or mental or emotional issues with their child upon birth. You don't pray for that. But when you get that, it seems like, what did I do wrong? Listen to his story. You know, I, this, is, this is hard. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? At that time, perspective. God had a different perspective that Jason could not see at the time. But the beauty of Jason's story is as Ethan has grown up and as he has graduated now from high school, here's what I can tell you in the short time I know Jason. He is a better husband, a better father, and a better follower of Jesus Christ because of what was perceived as a negative in his life. God had a different perspective. And it's hard to see in the midst. It's not easy to adopt a child. Oh, you get the fanfare and, and you get the, hey, this is so cool. It's the right thing to do. But let me just tell you, it's hard to deal with the child that's not yours that comes with different emotional baggages and issues that you have to walk through and what it does sometimes to the family dynamic and how you kind of work through that. Would it change it? Absolutely not. Because God's perspective is different than my own. See, can we choose to trust and follow God's word even if it doesn't make sense or even if it doesn't produce the outcome we expect? God, I didn't get healed. God, I, I, I didn't uh, uh, get through this. God, I, I didn't have that job yet. God, my marriage doesn't seem to be going well. Can we still trust God anyway? Now, it's a good thing that Naaman had some loving people in his life. And my prayer is that you do too. Do you have some people in your life that are not just good friends, but they're good friends that point you to Jesus and God's way. Big difference between the two. Because these guys could have just said, well, Naaman, you're in charge. You want to leave? Great. Yes, sir. We're out of here. But that's not what they did. They cared too much for him. Verse 13, it says, but his officers tried to reason with him. And they said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you certainly should obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the Man of God instructed him. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. The perfect number. You might remember seven days the earth was created and all that. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. If it had been any other way, would God have gotten all the credit? See, if it had been something hard, like, hey, climb that mountain, right? You got to go through a whole trial, Batman, you know, and get up there to become Batman, you know? And then, then you'll become strong because you've overcome this amazing obstacle. No, it's the same thing when it comes to relationship with Christ. So many people I've talked to said, well, it's too easy. What do you mean? I can be saved by putting my trust in Jesus Christ? There's got to be something more. There was, but not on your end. It all was taken by Jesus Christ. He's the one that took it for us. Now we surrender and give our lives to him from this point on, but salvation only comes by one name and connection with him. Naaman's pride nearly cost him his salvation. And sometimes our pride does the same thing. We don't want to turn to God until we've exhausted all of our resources. And my prayer is that it wouldn't take that. But my other prayer is that if that's what it takes, then praise God. Whatever it does to draw us next to more dependence on trusting God in the midst, to trust his word. Now, here's the, here's the reality. 
you're facing different things. And like I said at the beginning, most of us go to God when we have nowhere else to go to. Like, God, this is a little problem today. I'll solve this on my own. You got bigger fish to fry, Lord. And God says, no, 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 I care about you. Remember, you're my child. I want to be involved, God says, at the beginning, the middle, and the end. I want to be involved in the little issues of your life, the medium-sized issues of your life, and the big issues of your life. Please don't wait to involve me and trust me when you have nowhere else to turn but to me. But if you do, I'll be there. I may not respond the way you want, but I will respond to what is best for you and for those around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to serve, to love, to follow you. I pray that we would not let our pride stop us from turning to, turning back, putting our trust. I pray right now you would bring to our hearts and minds the little issues that we might be facing right now. We surrender those little issues to you. Medium issues, Lord. Things that have been kind of a thorn in the flesh, but not a great, great deal, but enough to get our attention. I pray that we'd present those requests to you now, Lord. And Father, for the large ones, the ones that we can't solve any other way. And we don't know how or if you're going to solve them. But Lord, with little, with medium, with, with large ones, we say we trust you in the midst. We trust your words. Help us. Because we know our temptation is not to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.